You're listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. And we are in a, in a whole month-long study in the book of Corinthians, first and second. But we're going to read a passage about judging. Everybody say, judging. So let's read this passage. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. And we have Bibles on the tables. We're going to be looking at this passage quite a bit. So after we read it, don't close your Bible. We'll come back to it later. And so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. I'm just going to read 12 and 13. Two verses. But it says a lot about who we're supposed to judge and when we're supposed to judge them. And and so let's look at this. It says, uh, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and he says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So those that are not in our church, those outside, those of the world. What business is it of his, of any of ours, to judge those outside the church? Uh, But are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Inside, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. So you see this passage? We're going to come back to it. We're going to read it in its greater context. But it's saying, what business do we have judging outsiders? But we do have a responsibility to judge those inside the church. We're going to talk about what that means. Because, I mean, we're going to talk about that. Because it's confusing about when we have the role to judge someone, when we should do it. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to read the greater context of this passage. But let's pray this morning. Let's welcome God here. Let's open our hearts to him. So, Father, we do say to you, be glorified with the Mill Sunday School. Be glorified with us studying your word, with studying Corinthians. God, that we can understand you better by, by reading this letter that Paul wrote to this ancient church. That we could understand you. We could understand more about the church, our role in the church today. Um, so that we can glorify you. So that we can come to you as a church that is that is glorious to you, that is spotless, that is shameless, that we can say, um, God, we love you. Be glorified in us. And so we love you this morning, God. And everybody screamed? Amen. Amen. Thanks for screaming that. Uh, I saw a guy one time holding a sign that said, you're all going to hell. And he was holding this sign, and he was kind of talking about damnation and uh, kind of like quoting Bible verses about judgment and hell and he's holding the sign, you're all going to hell. It was kind of interesting sign. And the place that he decided to do this was interesting to me. It was a, a bad part of town. I've been to a lot of different places. I've been to, on mission trips to some bad areas, done ministry in some lots of different countries. In fact, uh, I've gone to 50 different countries in my life. I got to travel, do mission stuff. And uh, so I've seen a lot of different places. I've seen some really good places. I've seen some very immoral places. And one of the most immoral places I've ever seen was in this, this section of Thailand in, in the city of Bangkok, this section that kind of tourists had taken over. It's like this big touristy kind of area by day. It's, it's called Khaosan Road, if anybody's ever been there. It's in Thailand. And by day, it's kind of this just, you know, you could buy tourist trinkets and postcards and kind of silly stuff like that. All the shops are kind of shady, but you don't really realize that till night comes. And once night comes, there's just rampant drugs, alcohol, tons of Americans coming over for like a week just to come to this place and get as much of um, drugs and alcohol as they can. And the, the worst part was just walking around at night and seeing all these prostitutes um, 
pair up with men and then go into these cheap, dirty, gross hotels. And just everywhere you walked, people, the women would come out and say, do you like me? Do you, do you want to sleep with me? And just be that bold, that up front. And it was just so gross, so overwhelming. And in the center of this, the Khaosan Road in Bangkok, Bangkok, Thailand, was this guy holding the sign saying, you're all going to hell. And he was preaching and screaming. And uh, as, as I walked by, he pointed at me and said, you need to repent. And before I could even say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm here actually on a mission trip. Uh, he just started talking about Babylon and Jezebel and all these big words about judgment. And I just thought, is that our role as Christians to, to just judge the world? And, and this verse kind of says, no, that's, that's not really our role to, just, to judge the world. What business do we have judging the world? Our, our, but we are supposed to judge those inside. And so we're going to look at that today and continue talking about that. We're studying the books of First and Second Corinthians. Um, a couple weeks ago, we studied heresy and how Paul hated this idea of false teaching. Last week, we studied uh, communion and how God hates divisions. And Paul said, we need to unite and come together and have true communion with one another. And then this topic, you can tell in chapter 5, that, and we're going to read, I think, just about the whole chapter today, um, that Paul is really concerned with immorality in the church and how we have a responsibility to help and to encourage and sometimes potentially to judge those that are inside the church uh, of such horrible immorality. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And uh, if, you're, if you're newish, just as, as by way of announcements, if you're newish, we got a card up here. It's actually on all your tables. There's, there's cards like this. It says, get schooled, a first-timer card. If you fill this out, bring it to the nice people at the table back there. They will give you a CD for coming. We love the fact that you're here and visiting with us. I like to consider the, that Sunday school is kind of like, the mill is like big, you know, a thousand people on a Friday night, and Sunday school is like the true nerds of the mill, like the Bible nerds. Are you proud to be a nerd? I am. I mean, it's... I, I used to be like, oh, I'm, I'm not a nerd. I don't want to be uncool, but I, I'm just, it's cool to be a nerd, right? Especially a Bible nerd. That's fun. And so that's what we are. That's what Mill Sunday School is all about, studying the Bible, really getting in-depth on some topics. And so uh, we're going to study Corinthians today. Uh, let's see. The other announcement is uh, service times will change in September, September 13th. Service times will, will kick back a half hour at the big church. So we are also going to kick back our times. We are, instead of 945, we're going to meet at 10 that's later. That's awesome. That's how you get to sleep in. And then we'll have like a whole, so we'll go from 10 to 11, and then church, big church, doesn't start till 11.30, so we'll have like half hour to just hang out and get some more coffee and meander over to the main building and meet some people, go sit with them and make sure you get a good seat. And uh, so, does that sound fun? I mean, to me, it's just like, oh my gosh, Sunday school is going to double. Just that 15 minutes starting a little bit later, people are going to be like, 9.45, that's so early. But 10, I could get up. I could be here at 10. And so if you just, if after September 13th, Sunday, there's just all these people coming, you'll know why. Before they were slackers, and now they're, now they're okay. Anyways, uh, okay, that, that's all the announcements I have. Um, so the book of Corinthians, let's get into this. Are you ready to get into it? Me too. We are starting off, this is a skillet, these are, on the inside is your notes. Uh, the first point is background to Corinth. And Corinth is the city in Greece, we've talked about this a little bit this month. And as, as the Mill Sunday School, um, we kind of 
pride ourselves in the fact that, that we like to do studies of the background of passages. Because there's a saying when it comes to hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study of the interpretation of the Bible. Uh, it's not my saying, but I, I say it a lot. I say that the Bible's not written to us, it's written for us. Have you heard me say that before? I say it like every day, pretty much. <laughs> it's a good saying. And if you've never heard it before, it may be shocking because you're like, whoa, the Bible's not written to us? What, what's he saying? But I'm saying it's not written to us, but it's written for us. And so this, this chapter, and, and specifically in Corinthians, is the, the books of First and Second Corinthians are letters. Did you know that? Real letters from a real person named Paul, a missionary, to uh, people living in Corinth. And we can look back and, and see what this city was all about. And so if you're, if you're interested in this kind of thing, uh, you know that a really good place to go would be to commentaries. Because if you're reading the Bible and you're like, what does this mean? You can go, someone has, has gone before you, studied a passage, and has made comments about the passage, and, and has maybe has done some background study of what Corinth was like back in the ancient days. And you could read their studies of what Corinth was like so that you can understand it better. And so commentaries are cool for that reason. There, there is a warning that kind of goes out with commentaries that it is just someone else's comments on the Bible. It's not the Bible itself. You should use the Bible to interpret the Bible and the commentary to help you interpret the, the context in which the Bible is written. The commentary itself is not the Bible. Did you know that? Are we clear what commentary is? Does anybody own a commentary of any kind? Yes, I see those hands. I see them. Thank you. All right, so I think we have a picture, and I showed this picture, I think, uh, two weeks ago. This is a picture of the city of Corinth from the satellite. Is it up there? What about now? What about, what are you guys doing? Get it up there. They're both just looking at me. There it is, all right, just kidding. They're, They're doing great. Round of applause, tech team. Uh, that, that's the city of Corinth. Uh, and you can see that it's on a narrow isthmus. I can never say that word. Is, isthmus? Isthmus? Anyways, uh, it's a narrow piece of land. It's only three miles across. That's very, I mean, you could run that and like, I don't know how long it takes you to run three miles, but you could just run across it. No big deal. Uh, and so it's on a narrow isthmus. And so east-west, there's water on both sides. And so if you're traveling east-west, it's a port on either side, a, an ocean ship port on either side. North-south, it's also this big hub for uh, 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 going from south Greece to north Greece. You have to go through Corinth in order to go from north Greece to south Greece. You have to. It's the only way, if you're walking at least. And so uh, it's this major hub, this major uh, port city. And oftentimes ports, um, uh, trucker stops, um, aren't really known for the best morality. People are a long ways from home. There's less accountability. Um, and so often prostitution is a really big deal in port cities. And Corinth, being such a huge port city, um, was known for prostitution. In fact, I was reading some commentaries that kind of joked and said that uh, ancient Corinth made Las Vegas look like a family-friendly fun time. Um, just because of all the prostitution, all of here. Let's, let's read some facts. Um, uh, let's see. I have another picture I want to show you. This picture is of, um, the next picture on there is a picture of the city taken from the city of Corinth. You'll see the, uh, Bowman, get the picture up. The, Bowman. <laughs> he's, he's working on it. <laughs> there it is. Uh, 
there is, uh, so you see the city. That's uh, the ruins of Apollos right there. And uh, so you're looking at the ruins of Apollos. That's a god, one of the Greek gods. And then above it, do you see the mountain? Do you see that mountain back there? That is called the Acrocorinth Mountain. It's only about 2,000 feet of vertical. Um, and so it's kind of like, I mean, if you look in the distance over Colorado Springs, our big mountain that we could look at is Pikes Peak, and it's kind of way far and in the distance. But it, this mountain is much closer to the city, and it's not as high. And on the top of that mountain, for the whole city to see, for the whole city to re- be reminded, you know, day and night, every time you look up and you see this mountain, at the top of the mountain was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love, the goddess of fertility. And at, uh, up there, at least working in that, as a part of that temple, I mean, this is kind of messed up. It's really kind of gross if you think about it. But as a part of worship to Aphrodite, you would go and pay your respects to the goddess of Aphrodite by sleeping with one of the prostitutes that worked at the temple of Aphrodite. And that's a little messed up. Obviously, because you're not only you're, you know, you visit a prostitute for your own self-indulgence, but visiting a prostitute to, to please this ancient God, that's just, I mean, the, just pure idolatry, just pure, um, I mean, just as a Christian looking at that and saying, you know, our God is the God of this world and he hates immorality. That's gross. That's disgusting. It's very s- disturbing. In fact, in this ancient Corinth, it was reported that there was at one point over 3,000 temple prostitutes that worked out of that temple um, on the top of that mountain. And so if you were at all tempted, you could just start walking towards that mountain and eventually you would find a prostitute. And so just this whole city was reminded day in, day out that there's prostitutes everywhere. That's where you went. Um, If you uh, were immoral and you you struggled with that, then I just can't imagine that, that you know, this city would just be a horrible place for you to be. In fact, Plato, you guys know Plato? Not the moldy stuff, but the guy uh, in ancient Greece. He referred to a prostitute as this. He used the expression, a Corinthian girl. And so he, uh, Plato, I'm not sure, I think, I think he was in Athens. And so a slang for prostitute was Corinthian girl. I mean, can you imagine, I mean, just think about it for a second. But if, if outside of Colorado Springs... A Colorado Springs girl was known as a prostitute? I mean, how bad would this city be? I mean, the, the, the slang for a prostitute is a Corinthian girl back in that time. Um, just horrible. Um, on a lighter note, I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, like the baseball teams are like Colorado Rockies, the Florida Marlins, ancient Corinthian prostitutes would be their baseball team. <laughs> Lighten up, everybody. I'm just playing around. Except my wife is gone. My wife usually, like, talks to me later about, like, the inappropriate things I said at Sunday school. But she's in Duluth visiting some family. She just got, we just got a, a her brother had a baby, so she has a niece. I have a niece as well. Um, so I'm an uncle now. But anyways, she's, she's not here, so no one can yell at me after Sunday school for the baseball team, the ancient Corinthian prostitutes. <laughs> Feels pretty good. <laughs> anyways... <laughs> Some archaeology uh, in, in ancient Corinth shows that there were many ridiculous amounts of wine wells, places where wine was brewed or stored, these ancient urns of wine. And so the, the fact that there was just alcohol everywhere, that there was lots of alcohol, more vats, more uh, wine vats in this city than, say, other cities of its size. Um, idolatry was just huge. Um, so many 
temples for gods and idol worship. And uh, Paul talks about it at one point in chapter 8. Paul refers to uh, meats sacrificed to idols. And what we think what was happening is that that the, there was so much idolatry that all meat being slaughtered, all cows or whatever animal being slaughtered for meat was slaughtered in a temple uh, according, like on account of another god. Like you'd slaughter a bull for Apollos to res- pay your respects to Apollos. And then connected to the temple was the butcher shop. And so if you wanted to buy meat, you, there was no other way to buy meat except to buy meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. And so Paul mentions that in in chapter 8. He says, you know, he kind of encourages the Corinthians and says, it's okay to eat that meat because it's not what what goes into the body that makes you unclean, but what what comes out of your body that makes you unclean, your your words and things like that. And so just the immorality that was all over this town. In fact, there's another ancient proverb that just said, uh, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. Not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. It's just this ancient proverb, you know, that said, if there's any amount of morality in you, if there's any amount of goodness in you, you probably shouldn't go to Corinth. Not for every man is this voyage to Corinth. And so do you see this picture of how bad this city was back in the day? Do you see it? I mean, it's kind of, in some ways, it's a little sad how how bad it was. And so with that context... Let's look at the next point in our notes, which is the immorality in Corinth. And what I mean by that, I should have said the church of Corinth. Immorality in the church at Corinth. You can, you can actually change that in your notes if you want to, because that's what I'm, we're really talking about. It's kind of what I meant. Uh, immorality in the church. Because the, the book of Acts says that Paul went to Corinth, and he lived there for about a year and a half. Uh, he, he was a tent maker by trade. He would make tents and get money for that. But then he was also planting a church in Corinth. And he lived there for a year and a half. And then he peaced out and continued on his missionary journeys to a city of, do you know? Ephesus. And so he went to Ephesus. And there he is uh, for another period of time in his life. And he wants to write back to this Corinthian church. In fact, at the end of the book of Corinthians, he says that, The peeps in uh, where he's at, where is it at? The people in the province of Asia, and Ephesus is in the province of Asia, say hello. And so send their greetings. And so so he's, he's now in Ephesus writing a letter back to the people in Corinth. And he says things in his letter about what he's heard. So he's not there anymore. He's lived, he's lived in Corinth for a year and a half. He goes to Ephesus. He writes back a letter to the Corinthians. And we have this letter. Pretty sweet. And and he's saying things like, I've heard reports among you. Like the passage we studied last week says, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says that I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions. Now, how did he hear about that? Well, I mean, he may have been on Facebook and heard about it. He may have uh, got the Ephesus news or something and heard about it. I'm just kidding. He probably heard about it from other ministers, missionaries, traveling from Corinth to Ephesus, meeting with Paul, and then they would have a conversation. You know, I imagine Paul sitting there asking, you know, this person, oh, wow, you just came from Corinth. How are things going there? How's the baseball team? <laughs> it's like, oh, they're doing great. <laughs> Anyways, uh, how's so-and-so? I mean, there's a list of names of people that uh, Paul said he met in Corinth, like Crispus and Justice Titus, um, and how, or Titus Justice. How are these people doing? Oh, they're doing fine. And, and you, know, how, you know, he would just have a conversation. And then I imagine Paul would ask this person, 
how's the church doing? And there's probably a lot of emotion with Paul because he started that church. It's his church. He founded it. He led it. And then he left. And there, there's a lot to be said about what happens to a church after the leader either retires or leaves. How, you know, how well that church was put together and the foundation of that church was, was built. When the leader leaves, does the church fall apart? Does it do good? And so Paul, I'm sure Paul asked with a lot of emotion, how, how's the church doing there? And he there, he's, hears reports. Some of those reports are pretty good. Some of them are pretty bad. He hears reports of there's divisions now in the church of Corinth. And he begins this book by saying, you know, some of you are saying, I'm from this group. I'm from that group. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. And so there's divisions. And so that's one of the bad things that Paul writes back and says, don't be divided. Christ isn't divided. And then he hears a report of something horrible, something really bad. Um, he said, you know, that someone must have reported to him that someone in the church was being extremely immoral. And it's going to shock, I'm going to say it, and it's just going to shock you, but they were having a sexual affair with their own mother. Now, we're not sure whether it was uh, their, like, birth mother or if it was a stepmother. We're not sure. But someone reported that to Paul. Said, Paul, there's something horrible going on. Inside the church, one of the members is having an affair with their own mother. And I just imagine Paul wow, are you serious? After I left, this, this started happening? What in the world? And so he writes to them. And so look at Corinthians with that context in mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says this. So Paul is writing back to the people in Corinth about what he has just heard. And he says this, ver, chapter 5, verse 1 again. It's actually reported amongst you that there's sexual immorality among you. And that of a kind that does not even occur amongst pagans. A man has his father's wife. And so we just talked about how bad the Corinthian city was with its prostitution and rampant alcohol and sex and idolatry. And Paul is, so now that we know that background, you just can't imagine Paul saying, you know, there's immorality reported among you that doesn't even happen amongst the pagans. And we know, we all know how bad it was in Corinth. But it's not even, it's, it's that bad. It's worse than that. Verse 2 says, And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put this man, uh, uh, put out of your fellowship the man who did this? And there's some concern there. That verse 2 says you're proud about it. And which is potentially an even bigger problem than the sin itself. And there's, there's not too much more context to look at as to why they would have been proud. And so going to the commentaries, someone's comments about this passage, there's some guesses, some educated guesses about why they could have been proud about such a horrible thing happening. And one guess that's an educated guess is that um, the church was all about uh, like a cheap grace, a the theology of cheap grace that just says, oh, say a prayer, accept Jesus, and then do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. It's all cool. So that's one guess. That they are, so they're proud of this man that's in their fellowship that, that is doing such a horrible thing. And they're proud of it because, oh, isn't it cool? He's saved by grace. It's like, wow, you know, what a, that's kind of a cheap grace that says, you know, you're saved just by saying a prayer, and then you could do whatever you want. You don't have to live. You don't have to change life. You don't have to be born again. You just need to say a prayer. Cheap grace. That's not, that's not the theology that is correct. Another idea is uh, that they um, didn't want, they were proud of the fact that they didn't judge anybody. 
You know, like, oh, anybody, you know, we, we just don't judge here. We don't want to be judgmental. We're just all free and non-judgmental. And so for some reason, maybe one of those two reasons, they were proud of the fact that this man was in their fellowship. Verse 3 says, even though I'm not uh, physically present, probably because he's in Ephesus, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you were assembled, then he gives them some instructions. Here's what you're supposed to do. Next time you get together, he says, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I'm with you there in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, it says something really shocking in verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed. So you're going to judge this man. Next time you're together, I want you to judge this man. I want you to kick him out, uh, a.k.a. hand him out, hand him over to Satan, get rid of him, kick him out of the church just to judge him. But it says this, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit may be saved on the day of judgment. So he's not just judging for judging's sake, but judging so that this man will repent and he'll come back to fellowship. He'll come back and be saved on the day of the Lord. And I'm going to read some more here. He says, your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch? This image, this ancient Jewish image of yeast uh, symbolizing sin. And just like one little drop, one little grain of yeast in a batch of dough, you mix it up and the whole, the whole, the whole uh, batch of dough will, will rise. It only takes a little bit to work through the whole batch. Just like that, that saying, we have a saying, one bad apple will corrupt the whole bushel. I mean, it's so true. If you have a bunch of apples sitting on your table, you know, they'll sit there for a couple weeks and still be good. But if one of them at the bottom maybe is like rotting and full of bacteria, how long is that bunch of apples sitting on your table going to last? A couple days at the most. I mean, that bacteria is going to, it's going to infiltrate the whole thing. And so, so he says, your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, or the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. There's that whole analogy about bread and yeast and a little bit working through the whole bunch. And then he, gets, he comes back to the specifics. He says, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral. I mean, think about it. Ancient Corinth, sexually immoral people everywhere. 3,000 prostitutes in this little city that's only three miles across. That's a lot of sexual immorality. Paul says, don't hang out with those people. But I'm not talking about the people of the world. I'm talking about the people in the church. I'll, I'll read it again. Listen to it. I've written you in my other letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. If you weren't allowed to talk to anybody that was sexually immoral in Corinth, you wouldn't be able to talk to anybody. I mean, everybody was doing it. Um, in that case, you'd have to leave the world. Verse 11 says, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate, and here's this big, this big clause, you must not associate with someone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, don't even eat. And then the verse we read this morning already. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And so that's, it's, a, it's a passage, I mean, that's kind of, it's, it's a big warning to us that if, if someone in our fellowship 
is claiming to be a Christian. Oh yeah, man, I'm a Christian. I go to the mill. But they are, you know, the fill in the blank of the, this huge sin that they're doing. It says, you know what? Don't even eat with this person. I'm not talking about people of the world that are, are sinners and they just are sinning because they're of the world. You know, those people, go, go ahead. You know, witness to them. Talk to them. Hang out with them. But the people in the church, the people claiming to be a brother, our sister in Christ, and, and they are extremely immoral, don't even eat with them. It's a strong warning, don't you think? I remember a church I used to go to uh, in Utah, lived in Utah for several years, and, and went to this great church. It had an awesome college ministry. Uh, we had a small group and a Sunday school class. Um, it wasn't too big. We were kind of a close-knit group of people. It was about 20 of us, and uh, it, was, it was a great church. But there was, there was a guy that, that would come pretty frequently um, to our Sunday school and to the Bible study. And I think in some ways his, his mom kind of made him come to church. His mom was on somewhat of like a leadership in the church. And, and this guy, I'm just going to call him Steve, uh, would come to, the, to our group and be a part of our group. And, and he knew the Bible pretty well. He knew theology pretty well. He could tell you that he was saved and he had been saved by grace. But this dude was a bad dude. Um, immoral. I'll tell you some of the things. He, would, he was just known for alcohol and drugs, and he would joke about it constantly. Hey, you want to go smoke a bowl? He's like, dude, this is Sunday school. Are you serious? What's wrong with you? And he would like, as the teacher was, I mean, kind of uh, very immature as well, while the teacher was teaching Sunday school for our class, he would yell out name, not really yell, but kind of like mumble out names for marijuana and, and see if anybody recognized. He'd just be like, hash, rafer, and this other teacher would start 420, and his teacher's like still talking, and he's just like yelling and seeing if anybody else giggles. Kind of a bad dude. At one point, um, he was dating two different girls, and both girls knew that he was dating both of them. And a, a bad dude, right? Uh, one time, out of the blue, he just turned to me and, and said, Hey, Joe, guess what I did last week? I was like, what? And I still, to this day, don't know if he was just joking to get my attention and kind of get me to react, or if he really did this. But he said, I I was in a pornographic film. It's going to be aired on the internet. And I was, what? He's like, oh yeah, they they paid me minimum wage. They gave me a sandwich. And uh, and I got to do, well, you know, I got to be in this film. And I just, I didn't even know how to react. I just kind of looked at him and then kind of walked away. I was, I was just like, are you serious? I, did, I mean, I, he's probably, I don't know, he's the kind of guy that would do that and then brag about it in church. And in my, back then, this is several years ago, maybe eight years ago, I was kind of new as a Christian. I just thought, we just need to keep him in the church and keep him coming to church and maybe someday he'll, he'll see God's grace and, you know, but, but he was a bad dude. He was really bad. I mean, just the things I told you. And I remember this. I remember after uh, church, uh, going out to eat with a, bu- a bunch of the, these people. And uh, he was there, Steve was there. And some of Steve's friends were also in the restaurant and they came over, hey, what's up, Steve? And they did this like little handshake thing. It was probably a drug deal, who knows? Um, <laughs> and Steve's friends t- looked at us, looked at our table and said, oh, you guys are all Christians like Steve. And I just thought, we're all Christians, but we, we are nothing like Steve. And if all you know about Christianity is Steve, I'm sorry, that's not, that's not good. Here's, here's a, someone calling themselves a brother, but doing immoral things. I mean, just the, the depravity of immoral things. I mean, nothing in his life represented 
Christ except for what he would say sometimes. And he, he'd joke dirty and just tell dirty stories. But then he would talk about, oh, the, you know, raise his hand and say, oh yeah, we're saved by grace. And, you know, he kind of knew his Bible. But he, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to, to say he was, he is not saved, but the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, right? In that analogy, fruit of a believer looks like the fruit of a believer. And I didn't see very much in his life. And looking back on that, I think now as, as a pastor and someone who's, you know, lived a little bit in their Christian life, if I would have gone back to that, knowing what I know now, and maybe if I had authority over that position, if I was a, a pastor over that church and that was going on, I probably would have had a talk with Steve. And I said, Steve, I want you to potentially not come to church for a little while until you know, maybe you and I can meet and we'll see how you're doing and, and go from there. But you're corrupting our, our college ministry. You're corrupting everybody that knows you as a Christian. You're giving me and all other Christians a bad name by what you're doing in your life. And, um, and so let's talk about this idea of, of, of judging. And when is it okay to judge? We've read a passage that says, don't judge the world. We're not here to judge the world. I'll let God do that. But when it comes to Christians, is it just a free-for-all? If you hear of someone doing something, you just, go, you just judge anything, everything you see. It's like you see someone coming in late to Sunday school, and you just judge them. You are lazy. You are, you're a sluggard. You, get out of here. Get out of my sight. You were late. <laughs> Don't, you're not allowed to have that coffee. Get out of here. <laughs> Do you just judge anyone and everyone? Uh, uh, what is, when is it your place to judge? Uh, and with, with what measure do you judge? Uh, what, how, what, you know, the question's about, do you have authority to be a judge in someone's life? And then what does that look like? And so I'm going to ask you a question for discussion. I'm going to read a passage. But this question that I want you to start thinking about is, when do we, as Christians, do what this passage is calling us to do and judge someone inside of our church and talk to them and, and confront them? Or um, w- when is that appropriate? And I want to read this passage before we start discussing that and thinking about that. And it's what Jesus had to say. Uh, Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 5, a passage about judgment. This is the other side of what we're talking about now. Uh, it's actually the quote of the day. We always put a quote of the day on the skillet, which is uh, Matthew uh, 7 verse 1. I'm going to read the whole passage though. So turn, turn to Matthew and look at this passage. It's a passage that I have some notes near and some underlinings in because it's a, it's a pretty important passage. Jesus is talking that this whole passage is in context of the Sermon on, on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And Jesus says this in, in chapter 7 verse 1 of Matthew. He says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and yet pay no attention to this plank, a big board that's in your own eye? It's obviously an analogy here. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's a pretty popular passage about judging. Jesus says, don't do it. With the same measure you judge, you also will be judged. But then we have this other passage, this passage in Corinth, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, you, you need to do this. You need to judge this brother. So what's the difference? When is it our role to judge? When is it, our not, when is it not our role to judge? Would you turn to some peeps around you and, and kind of... Uh, 
ask that question. Maybe one of you kind of write down some ideas. And we'll talk about it as, as big Sunday school in a minute. But uh, write some, if you're by yourself, that's totally cool to either just jump in a group, we're all nice here, or just to write down some ideas on your own. The question is, when is it okay to judge? Just that simple. When is it okay to judge? You got it? Good. <laughs> Everyone's just looking. Ready, get set, go. I'll give you another uh, minute or so to try to wrap up. Let's, uh, it sounds like a good topic. There's a lot of conversations 
going on, but let's, let's talk as a, as a big Sunday school for a second. There's two dudes with Mike, Joel, and Matt, Matt and Joel. And uh, if you, if you want to say something to everyone, if, you, if someone in your group said something really good, then you could point to them and then someone come over and then make them talk. That's awesome. <laughs> I love being put on the spot. But to answer the question, when is it okay to judge? Yeah, Jay, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to share my uh, story, my personal story. And, okay. Um, it actually happened earlier this year, and the way I approached it was I consulted with multiple people around me. Um, we chatted about it, and then after that, then it was a determination whether or not to step in and do something about it. And I also forgot to point out uh, it's got to be a vicious cycle that you see, and then you consult, and then you step in. So if you a, see sin, then yeah, it's a, a, vicious it's a cycle. process. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle that you got to look for, and yeah, and you consult with multiple Christians around you or whoever else, and from there on you go from there, and you cannot discriminate. Yeah, I hear you saying it. it's a serious thing. It's going to take some yeah. time if you see sin in the church. And most importantly, you know, you got to see if they're going to get something out of it, and that's you a good know, point. You're going to kind of get something out of it as well. That's Otherwise, a really good point. Don't bother. Yeah. Is there is someone else want to share? Yeah, there's. Okay, um, you first. What I was saying earlier is that we're all a brotherhood. So if we see one of, you know, somebody else in the church falling, we're going to help each other to get back up. And that's when it's, I wouldn't really call it like okay to judge, but mm-hmm. it's still judging. Yeah. So that's when it's like, you know. So we're, we're, a, we're actually helping someone by, by saying, hey, you know, I. Maybe you're are you, are you struggling with this? Can can we help you? And and you're kind of judging them when you're asking about it, but in the same way you're helping them. Right. Yeah. It's good. It's good. There's somebody over here. Yes, sir. Um, I think first off to say if you're going to judge someone, like it talks about Matthew, like you need to kind of have it squared away in your own life, and two, it needs to be uh, based in scripture, not so that way you can prove to people, hey, I'm not just making this up. Like this is actually legitimate. Yeah, that's really good. But um, Aaron talked at, uh, I go to God Chasers on Wednesdays. It's uh-huh. like our small group, and Aaron talked last year. And I thought he said some really good things. Um, one, like, is it your role in your life? Like, this is good. Usually, like, if it's a friend or something like that, like, is it your role to talk to this person? Right. Um, two, is it your business? Like, do you even know the person? Like, is it just someone you met, like, on the street? Or is it, like, someone you had a pretty good friendship with, you know? Yeah. And then third, have you been invited to actually... Is it your role? Is it your business? Have you been invited into their life to ask them and keep them accountable? That's good. Thank you. Yeah, Bill. Um, We talked about how uh, it's good to judge a brother who's unrepentant. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but uh, what I saw in your story about the Steve guy at the diner, Uh how the world saw the church. Yeah. And the the fact that there was immorality in the church communicated a lie to the world of whom God desires to repent that they may know that he is the Lord. Yeah, it's good. It's good, Bill. We have one more way in in the back. Yes, sir. I think part of it for me is is English language is a little bit limited in its description of the word judge. Right, yeah. I think there's kind of on the left-hand side the the okay way to do it is discernment Mm -hmm. is how I'd rather say it. You know, you're discerning the issue. Yeah. And the other side is more like a judge in a courtroom that's putting a sentence forth. You're condemning them. You're saying you deserve this because you did that right. kind of thing. Um, but, and then there's the process of expelling the more immoral brother. You go to them in private first, and then you bring the elders in and all yeah. of that. So just yeah, that's good. Yeah. So there is, we are just talking about this big thing to judge. But judging can mean something 
very different in different circumstances. Thanks, thanks for everyone that, that shared. Um, I thought of some ideas, and some of those were with what Aaron Stern has talked about in the past at the mill. And I've heard him talk about if you're going to talk to someone and maybe judge them or, or ask them about how they're doing or keep them accountable, is it, is it your business? Or do you have any sort of relationship with this person? Or, and then the final one, uh, do you have any, have you been invited to, to say something into someone's life? And I think um, Jesus in this passage of Matthew is, is probably referring to something where you're just judging someone to slam them. You're, you're gossiping about someone. And I know in big church today, Brady's on this series of Proverbs, and he's going to talk about gossip and how heart, hurtful that is. And I think we can judge someone in a, in a very wrong way if we, can, if we talk to someone, if we gossip about them and, and judge them. You know, like, oh, guess who, was, guess who did this or that? Guess who came late to Sunday school? <laughs> you know, to use that as a silly and ex, as ex, example but we can just, if we're, if we're not directly talking to the person and we're gossiping about them, that's, that's a bad way to do, to do judgment, to, to talk to someone. And I think judgment is a pretty strong word for, for that. But it is, in essence, if you're, if you're asking someone about their sin or if you've seen something in your life and you kind of confront or just talk to them in a nice way even, you really are judging them. And so is it your role as a Christian? And there, there's good ways and bad ways to do that. Um, to, to gossip about it would be a very bad way. To, to judge them, to put them down just to build yourself up, I think is a very poor motive to, to judge someone. If you see someone doing something that's wrong, you know, Jesus says, you know, remove the wrongness out of your own life before you even have any amount of authority to, to talk to someone else about a speck uh, of sin in, their, in someone else's life. And why? What is your motive behind confronting someone? Are you just trying to slam them or are you legitimately trying to help them? And I think this passage in Corinthians about this guy that's doing, you know, having an affair with his own mom is just a horrible sin that, that is in this chapter that Paul's referring to. He says, you should have been filled with grief. You should have been filled with sadness. And next time you meet together, expel him because... You know, you should be filled with grief and expel him so that maybe he'll come back. Maybe he'll be saved on the day of judgment. That's the bigger concept. Your, your motive of when you confront someone or judge someone. And I think there's a lot to be said about how accountability works in the church and how, what, what that word means. It's, it's a, it's a, accountability is, is, a, is a word that can mean so many different things and it's kind of like a bad word around the church because it's just used inappropriately sometimes. And I think it's used to judge each other sometimes. But true accountability, I think, happens when, when you submit your life to some people. Like I have some guys in my life that I've submitted my life to, and they could ask me questions about anything. And I tell them how I'm doing in, in lots of different areas of my life. And um, I know that there's a lot of people that I am an accountability partner for, say for, uh, there's a lot of guys that have come to me and say, you know, I'm kind of struggling with what I look at on the internet. And they'll ask me, Would you, can you hold me accountable? And I'll say, oh, the process usually goes like this. There's free software that you can buy and download onto your computer. And then it emails me, a si- emails me the list of sites that you visited, let's say this last week. And I get lots of, I probably get like maybe 10, 
15 accountability reports from different guys in the middle um, of the sites they've looked at. So I'll look at their sites that they've looked at, the, the, the list of what sites they've gone to. And every once in a while, one of them will have, have looked at something that week, which I know they shouldn't have looked at. And so I'll have to make a call or send back an email or talk to them next time I see them and say, hey, you know, I, I saw some sites that you visited that listed that you shouldn't have looked at. And when I'm doing that, I'm, you know, by definition, I'm kind of judging them and saying, you know, you, you've invited me in your life to, to be this accountability partner. And so now I need to talk to you because there's some sites that you looked at that you shouldn't have looked at. And I pray over them. I encourage the guy. But that, that to me is how, it's in some ways how some very healthy judging can look that, that the person has invited me into their life to hold them accountable to this to the standard that they've even set up for their own life. And so ju- this whole judging thing, uh, so, some big principles, don't judge the world. That's not our role, to judge the world. God, let God judge the world. And when it comes to inside the church, uh, what's your motive behind judging someone, asking someone about their sin? What's your motive? Is it just to put them down, to build yourself up? Or are you truly trying to help them? And then what role? Is your role in this person's life the role that should be the person that's helping them and keeping them accountable, judging them. And we do something at the mill where I think, I think the mill is, is uh, well, the mill on a Friday night or even Sunday school right now, anybody can come to the mill or to Sunday school. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what, uh, where you're at in life, we welcome sinners to come to the mill, no matter what you've been struggling with. In fact, I know of uh, people that te- told me, I know of a guy that told me that his first time to the mill, he was struggling with alcohol, looks back on that time and saying, I was an alcoholic. He's gone to AA meetings. He's getting better. But he said that the first time he ever came to the mill, he came drunk because he was nervous and he didn't know, you know, the, what the mill was all about. And, and he just, he knew that the mill would be a good place to come uh, and get some help, but he couldn't, stand the pressure. So he got drunk in the parking lot and then came into the mill on a Friday night. And that's pretty cool <laughs> that we welcome sinners. And that's not cool that he was drinking out in the parking lot to come to the mill drunk, but it's cool that the mill was open to him. We weren't checking people at the door to see if their eyes were glazed over. Uh, we're just welcoming sinners into our meeting. And, and so the mill on a Friday night, especially, I mean, there's a thousand people that come unless you're being disruptive, unless you're uh, there, you know, for wrong motives, if, you're, if a guy is just there and he's there just to pick up girls or whatever, uh, that, that he, you know, will, will ask you to leave. Uh, if you're being disrupt- disruptive, we'll ask you to leave. But if you're just coming, seeking, no matter what you're s- struggling with, you can come to the mill, no matter what. In fact, sometimes people will say, you know, I, I, f- I feel like I need to clean up before I can come to church. That's dumb. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Don't clean up to come to church. Come to church. Allow Jesus to clean you from the inside out. You'll be clean, you know, from the inside out. Instead of trying to clean up your outside, clean up your life a little bit to come to church. No, just come. This is the place to get clean. This is the place where, you know, sinners come and we get redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so that's how the mill works. Anybody can come to the mill. But we do make a a distinction when it comes to our, our leadership team. And the mill leadership team, if you, if you don't know how it works, it's, it's very easy to get on the mill leadership team. There's a, a, like a one-page application. You get to meet with a pastor or a leader, and then we'll put you on a team. And maybe all you'll do as a mill leader is 
brew coffee. And that, that's pretty easy. It's not like you're a small group leader. It's not like you're an accountability leader. It's not like you're a mentor or a pastor. You're just brewing coffee. But you're on our leadership team. And when you're on our leadership team, there's a line that's drawn. And, you say, and we say, if you're a leader, maybe all you're doing is brewing coffee or setting up or cleaning up, but you're a leader. You're representing the mill. And so we have this honor code. And the honor code says a bunch of things about alcohol, drugs, uh, sexual immorality. It has these lists of things that you know, we require our mill leaders to, to uh, sign off and adhere to this honor code. And it happens every once in a while that, we'll, that so, someone will tell us that they're struggling with fulfilling the honor code in some area of their life. Or um, we'll hear reports of someone who's like, oh, you know, I, I think so, so-and-so is struggling. And whatever I do, whenever I hear of like someone's telling me about someone else, I try not to entertain this conversation, but I go directly to the person to whom you know I hear this report about, and I ask them about how they're doing in life, whether you know there's some part of the honor code that they're struggling with, and we have a conversation. And many times that conversation goes with you know like you know you're struggling now, but you're, but you're getting help, and so you know there's a couple options. Why don't why, maybe why don't you take a month off of leadership? And we'll reevaluate in a month and how you're doing with this area and, and upholding the honor code. And, and I think that's a very healthy way uh, of dealing with, you know, inviting visitors. Anybody can come to the mill, but then having a line for, you know, some churches do memberships and, and things like that. And uh, I think the mill leadership team is, is a team of people that adhere to an honor code. They say, you know, we believe in Jesus. We allow the fruit of our lives to be seen because we believe in Jesus. And so that's kind of how, how we roll at the mill. So I want to close with a verse. And this verse is in chapter 6 of Corinthians. You could turn there and look at it. Um, it's this bigger idea of where people are coming from, where they're going, who's in the church, who's out of the church, this whole judgment area. This, this is, to me, it's a very encouraging passage. It's Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. And unfortunately, many people quote the beginning part of, of these verses. And, and honestly, it's, the, it, it's, it's always shocking to, to see people with signs. You know, like the guy that I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that said, you know, you're all going to hell, sign. And, and, and sometimes they'll quote this verse, or the, the first part of these verses, but they won't quote the rest. And the, the beginning part of this verse seems very discouraging, but it ends with encouragement. Paul says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he's going to list all these different types of sin. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the male prostitutes, nor the homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So he lists all these people and says, none of these people are going to go to heaven. And this is the verse that sometimes people will judge the world with and say, you're not going to go to heaven. It says it clearly right here. But here's where the encouragement comes. I think of that song that we sang on Friday night, Jesus Paid It All, that no matter what we've, we've done, you know, the gospel message is, no matter what sin you've committed, there's hope. Because he lists all these horrible sins and then says this, and that is what some of you were. Some of you were prostitutes. Some of you were sexually immoral. Some of you were, were greedy and swindlers. You won't inherit, inherit the kingdom of God, but that's what some of you were. And then it says this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus 
and by the Spirit of God, our Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, we come to you as, as humble servants, as members of a church that, that, God, we want this church, we want the Mill Sunday School to glorify you. We want, it to, we want to be a, a, a group of people that, that love you, that are the fruit of our life reflects you. And so, God, would you help us see, encourage our brothers and sisters? Would you help us talk to brothers and sisters and help us evaluate our own lives to, to, for you to be the judge of our own life and to help us get on a path that is glorifying to you? God, we do all mess up. We, we all sin. And so, God, I thank you that you've cleaned us, you've washed us, you've sanctified us with your blood. And so, God, we want to glorify you. We can never repay you for the gift of eternal life that you've given us through your son, Jesus. We can never repay you for that. But, God, we want to. We want to glorify you. We want to try to present our lives to you as a sacrifice because of the sacrifice that you made to us. And so, God, we leave here joyous because you have filled us with your presence. You've made us clean. We worship you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, my friends, high five some people on your way out. Learn some names of the people you don't know. See you at big church. Peace.